Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Joseph Shabison is a talented multi-instrumentalist based in Toronto, Ontario, a renowned saxophonist who's contributed to key albums by The War on Drugs and Destroyer. Shabison also writes music and plays keyboards in the band Diana. In 2017, he released his first solo recording, an ambient jazz-inspired album called H, which is a rather distinct departure from some of the rock and electronic-infused pop music he'd made previously. In November of 2018, Shabison released his second solo album, a beautiful and haunting effort called Anne, which features clips from an interview he conducted with his mother after she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Joseph returned to CFRU's studios with me, where we discussed his last appearance on this show and Margarine, the liberating aspects of making music in a crumbling business model, the influence of musician John Hassel, his mom, and this record, Anne, his future plans, and much more. With the support of listeners like you who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash Control. Plus, in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 448th episode of Creative Control, featuring the brilliant musician Joseph Shabison with your host, me, Vish Khanna.
I am no longer the perfect person, or at least I am. I'm not, I can't pretend that I'm a perfect person. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Vish. How are you? I'm well. Good. Welcome back to the CFRU studios. It's good to be back. The last time you were on my show, we were here. I think we had the longest conversation about margarine. <laughs> oh, man. Or maybe at least one uh, the longest conversation <laughs> I've ever had in my entire life about margarine. <laughs> Why was that? What was the context of that? It was, it your, was, it was your band, Diana. Yeah. And all of you were here. Uh, it was a Newfoundland thing. Because oh, we had, because we had been in Newfoundland at Monyvania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then... I forget what it was, but was it that like there's only a certain brand of margarine that exists in Newfoundland or like they only have Imperial or like, it w- I don't know. I only want to... Um, Do we want to get back into I want to cut this off because I don't want to go down that road again. <laughs> okay. Margarine <laughs> Avenue is yeah. not a road. Or it's not a fun road. <laughs> no one cares about it. I, in retrospect, I feel like Carmen wasn't so keen on the margarine talk. It was a bit silly. It was, but I thought I thought she liked it at okay. the time. I don't know. I just there's my that's my vibe. I don't know her super well, but I just I, I could see her being like, "Why are we talking about margarine?" Yeah, I but, mean, yeah, but she was into it. You're right at the time, and I don't want to make this about that. But you know, I get self conscious when people aren't having a good time, and I'm like, I think she had a good time. She did. I also asked myself the same question: <laughs> Why are we talking about margarine for so long? But I also kind of got into it, so I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> well, this is the thing we do on when we're talking. You just go where the conversation leads. There was no plan or anything. What so, were we supposed to be talking? We weren't supposed to. We weren't supposed <laughs> to be talking about margarine. What were we supposed to be talking? That's about? That's a really good question. Because you, we all, you know, your band was there, and we were uh, margarine came up, and we yeah. engaged. Yeah, I mean, like, I suppose if you really want to get nitpicky with it, we could have talked about music and we stuff. We did, though. We also <laughs> did do that. But there was a margarine segment. Yeah. Sometimes there's got to be, like, a, a bread lubricant. Yeah, like a good 25-minute Was conver- it a long time? I don't remember that part of it. I just remember that I feel like the last time we did a formal thing, you were here. Yeah, and, and I was into it. I was into that margarine conversation, okay. for the record. Good. No, I'm, Well, you're here again. Yeah. It wasn't so off-putting. <laughs> no, that I didn't Why didn't back. he talk about butter? That's what I think <laughs> most people like. Margarine, that's disgusting. Butter, that's what we talk about. But in the 90s, somehow we got convinced... We're going down this road again, yes, but somehow we got convinced that we should be eating margarine because it was healthier, even though it tasted worse. And I don't think it ended up being No, healthier. it was proved to be, I think, either less healthy or just as healthy or just as unhealthy. I thought it was worse. I thought it was way worse. I don't know how it could be worse because as you... Do you cook? I can't remember. Yeah. You cook for yourself and your family a little <laughs> bit? Well, okay. I've been sort of like given the... I used to cook for myself. Yeah. And I'm cooking again now as an example to our young son. Right about sharing like cooking responsibilities how old is your son again nine months old so you think that because you're cooking (laughs) in front of a nine month old they're going to retain that in some sort of gender studies way i think so i think over time because i used to be the sous chef slash dishwasher and cleaner and that was a role that i loved right but oh sorry with your with your partner with my my partner with my wife kate right, right so but now I think we both feel it's important for him to see us splitting the cooking duties yeah. so that he doesn't turn into like 
a clown when he's older? Sure, I I I, I do it too. I cook. Yeah. The reason I brought this up is because we were talking about butter and margarine, and I've yeah. come to the realization uh, as I've been cooking more and more frequently over the last six seven years, butter makes everything better. Yeah, everything that you think is like, what well, if you eat something and you go, hey, what's in this? It's really good. The invariably the answer, the response is butter. Yeah, I think it's we, never margarine, by the way. It's zero, it's zero percent of the time butter. <laughs> and it's strange. Like, why is this cookie so good? Well, it's that I put my wife will say I put a lot of I usually hold back on the butter, but I put a bit more butter and I say, ah, hmm. well, maybe we can reframe this. I mean, rather than making it a negative thing about margarine, which it sucks, like I yeah. fully agree. But it was a very successful marketing campaign because they brainwashed a continent into thinking that they should be eating this thing. The the number one example of this, the the brazenness of this campaign was they actually named one of their products with their primary competition's name in the title. I can't believe what? It's not butter. Oh yeah. Was like right. the best selling margarine for a while. That's how that would be like Burger King just being like our new name is Burger McDonald's King. Like we are just Burger McDonald's King and you can make your choices but we are Burger McDonald's King and screw those guys. You know, we are the best. So they put butter in the name of the thing that you're trying to forget you're not eating. It's yeah. g- sort of genius, very nefarious. It is. And I don't understand the margarine lobby. There's a real lobby. <laughs> For margarine. Big margarine. <laughs> Big margarine. Very evil. <laughs> so again, I didn't, this is why we engaged. Yeah. It is an interesting topic that no one thinks about. <laughs> These tubs of oil it's, that we think are just as good as the butter. And once every two years, it's up to us to engage you in conversation. Yeah, you, you and I, <laughs> to engage the public and each other with with talking uh, about margarine. Anyway. What about the big cow? Did you see all the big cows and steers that are in the news as we're talking right now? Yeah, Imagine was... the butter you could get from this <laughs> giant seven-foot cow or steer or whatever. I don't know if you can get butter from a steer. But anyway, yeah, it's it's just dairy is on our brains. Yeah. And I thought there. that cow, for forever it's worth, was photoshopped at first. I didn't believe that the, it was real. The black and white cow yeah. in Australia? Oh, no. No, they did, they did reveal that the other herd of cows was only like four feet tall. Like they were small. That's still an impressive cow. They, there was a clip that I saw was like, uh, he, it was an Australian uh, newscast, and they were like, this cow is as big as Michael Jordan. And you're like, why are you bringing Michael Jordan into this cow conversation? <laughs> and they had like this little uh, stock image of Michael Jordan beside this giant steer cow thing, whatever. It didn't make any sense. Also, it's a pretty dated reference. Like I know, like LeBron, whoever. Like, yeah, I mean, exactly. LeBron's taller than Michael, I guess. Like, Michael was 6'6", and I think they were trying to say the cow was close to that. But I feel like, anyway, whatever. Who's well, the most popular, uh, famous, six foot six person? It's gotta be Michael Jordan. There's no one who is six six exactly. What about like Kobe Bryant? Kobe was, I wanna say six. Eight? Yeah, I wanna say that. I don't actually know his stats, but I wasn't a big of a fan. Yeah, I think he was taller maybe, maybe not. Maybe you're right. But I think they just <laughs> brought Jordan out and I just thought it was weird. Anyway. It's nice to have you back. It's great to be back. On the show. And you have this lovely album, Anne. Yes. That uh, has just come out, I guess, as we're speaking. Yeah, it came out a couple weeks ago on Western Vinyl. Congratulations. Thank you. So uh, the last time you were here, we uh, we were talking about Diana. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, I knew you did some solo things. I just, before we get too far into Anne, Mm -hmm. I'm just curious about this mindset of yours. Because you have to go from playing 
fairly accessible music. Mm-hmm. Like when you play with, do you still play with the War on Drugs ever? No, I mean, I played with them. I opened for them with my solo project in San Diego recently, and I played like a solo with them, but right. I, don't, I don't tour them okay. anymore. Okay, so, but you have done that. Yeah. And Destroyer and Diana, mm-hmm. lots of like, sort of there's like a, I don't want to say it's populist, but there's like more people. You were playing yeah. to like maybe thousands of people if, if the show is right. Yeah. And now you when you play this stuff, it's got to be different, I assume. Yeah. It's not going to be as accessible. Yeah, there's like five, 6,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a they, huge market they, for Ambient. They half the arena. You're <laughs> exactly. playing like the Air Canada Center Theater <laughs> thing. Yeah, that's what it, or what it's not even called that anymore. What's it called in Toronto? Scotiabank Arena. Sorry, they changed the name. It's the same way that I'll never call the Sky Dome the Rogers Center. No, no, it's the Sky It's Dome. always going to be the Air Canada I know, Center. I don't know. Is that just because we're stubborn? Because we're old. Because <laughs> you know what the funny thing about this is? Like the Rogers Arena Sky Dome thing makes sense. But for someone to have an allegiance to Air Canada as a company as opposed to Scotiabank, that seems a little random. Because yeah. I've been running it. It's the Air Canada Center. Even my map says it's Air Canada Center still. Really? Still? It doesn't say Scotiabank Arena. <laughs> when I was like, how do I? Because I just, I know how to get there, but traffic, you just, you're checking it. It says, yeah. yeah, Air Canada Center. Very weird. Anyway, all I'm saying is that's interesting to me that you yeah. have played uh, this this more accessible music. This music, I would say, is, I've seen you play this and it's amazing. Thank you. Uh, I saw you at the Heritage Hall, I think, in Guelph. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So the way I see it is... It's like, it's not better or worse, mm-hmm. but when you play in a band like Destroyer or The War on Drugs, like you kind of need a really big audience for it to feel like a good show. And that's not to say that you can't play a small show and have it feel awesome. Like if you're in an intimate setting, it's great. But like with with Destroyer, we'll go on tour and we're playing rooms that are between like... 300 capacity and in bigger cities maybe 2000 mm-hmm. capacity 1500 and if a show is not hasn't sold well like that is a huge bummer to walk on stage and kind of be like all right it's going to be this kind of show tonight and that's fine but like a bit of you feels weird but with this music like i think i expect if i'm like i will be like 20 people tight that's a great show the, the, one of my points here is that that's just people making mm-hmm. a decision to leave their homes or not. Yeah. How does that actually impact you as a music? Like I've been in your shoes, right? It's nice to play to more people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're going to do the same thing you did the night before when there were a lot of people. So like the experientially, it's just like a, it seems like it's an ego thing maybe. Like well, to play you- to play to less people than more people uh, over the course of a tour or something. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's ego, but it's also like when you get to experience like 1500 people or if you're playing big festivals like thousands and thousands of people who are like really amped on what you're doing like that makes you play better like definitely for sure ego factors into it it does make you play better oh yeah like if you have like all these people cheering for you sure it just kind of lights a fire under your ass i mean and yeah ego's tied into it but it's a specific feeling so that when you go from that to like way less people and in a room where like maybe it fits 800 but 200 people have showed up Mm -hmm. It's not, it just feels underwhelming. Sure. So, but with ambient music and my solo music, I feel like I've lowered my expectations. Like, I feel like this whole project is about lowered expectations of like, what kind of like, like quote unquote success will come from it. Because this project never started with 
I never thought it would even come out on record. And then somebody decided to put it out. And then I never really thought I'd play shows. And then I played shows. And it's like every step of the way has always been a pleasant surprise rather than any expectation whatsoever. Right. And I think like the more I play in bands, the more I see how fickle fans can be. Yes. And then if you're counting on X amount of people to come to a show and then also maybe to sell X amount of records, when you don't, and I mean, based on how people consume music these days, there's a really good chance that from one record to the next, people are going to really fall off. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like I saw it with Destroyer even, with like people who got into Kaput because they loved the sort of retro way it sounded. Right. And then you we released the next album, Poison Season, and people were kind of just like, cool. Some people loved it, but a lot of the Kaput fans just sort of fell away because it wasn't the exact same thing as the record before it. Yeah, he's not that kind of artist, though. No. I mean, every record, that, and that, which is the exact reason why I love playing in that band. Right. But I think that the one thing I've learned with music is that if I expect nothing, both financially and like critically, and it shows, and you just do it because you're having a good time or you believe in the thing that you're doing, then, like, I don't expect ever to make, yeah, like, I don't expect anything from this project other than to, like, make music that I like. So there's no, like, no part of my living is tied into it. Sure. And no part of my financial whatever is tied into it. And it's great. It was the most liberating thing because before, I think I really thought about, like, making it, quote, unquote. Mm-hmm. And with and over time, I've realized that that doesn't, exist and well when you get little tastes of it with destroyer in particular Mm -hmm. or diana also yeah that makes you feel like it's feasible yeah but it's all totally based on they're not always even fickle maybe well they are fickle you're basing your whole livelihood on somebody else the whims of strangers absolutely that's odd that's an odd circumstance that performers and entertainers deal with yeah, I don't want to be like too harsh and say that it's stupid, but it's it's because I mean obviously you make art and you want people to consume it and enjoy it because that's part of why you do what you do. At least that's part of why I do what I do, but like I feel like to try to put any amount of your financial security in that to me is crazy. It's yeah. like It's a real it's gamble, a, yeah. I mean it's a terrible gamble. Like yeah. your odds are so low. Right. And then Maybe you'll get like a little bit of success and then maybe the next time around you won't. And then, but you're counting on that past level of success. And like, I think somewhere in my early thirties, I kind of realized to put my faith in that is probably the stupidest thing I can do for my own happiness and my own well-being. So I found ways to make music, like whether or not it did well, didn't, had no bearing on what I was doing. And as soon as that happened, I had no bearing on the music I was making. And as soon as I kind of, that switch flicked, and I was like, oh, I should never count on original music to make money. As soon as that happened, I feel like my whole life got like lighter and also better and more productive. Did you perform in some iteration of this solo project before you played in those other bands we mentioned? Like No. This all emerged sometime after when? Destroyer or Diana, I guess. It's emerged like two and a half years ago. Yeah, so so after Destroyer, yeah. after Diana, after right. the war on drugs, like I was just sort of, it just came out of like dicking around and experimentation. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So your impulse prior to this was to be a collaborator? 
Yeah, and also I like, mean you still are, I suppose. But, but to try to like make it. Like I wanted to You like, wanted to make it. Yeah, I wanted to yeah. be in a successful band and tour and like be on the road and sell records and like I wanted to do that. And yeah. like I think about it now and I think that's insane. Like that is that's insane. It's an insane well, thing. Well, it's to more do. insane than it's ever been. If if it's insane and I'm not saying it I don't want to say that I think it's also insane. Uh, because, I mean, you know, we're getting into this territory where every time you read a report about the music industry, mm-hmm. there's this thing recently that this um, this artist in Canada, Danny Michelle, released. Yeah. Where he just talked about, here's the reality. Uh, you know, this is a guy who has really made an attempt to be like a CBC radio darling. Oh, yeah. And so his songs do well on that network. Uh, and then he's de- because of that network and their pull, he's d- developed a very loyal uh, audience, I think, for touring and all that stuff. But think about the decisions that he has to make musically, knowing that he has a specific audience who likes to hear a specific thing. And the sound of like being a CBC darling, there is a sound to that. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're making album two and album three. And... I mean, it's impossible to not be thinking about, well, I should sound a bit like this because this is what that audience likes to hear. So all of a sudden you're making creative decisions based on knowing that you can have a certain amount of financial success with this organization and with these types of fans. And right there, like in some way you're pandering. But that's what the shock I think was. I think people are used to artists maybe in our realm Mm-hmm. struggling or like, yeah, I've got to keep a couple of jobs going and they let me go on tour. That's a very common <laughs> thing yeah. that you hear when you engage with people on a, an independent or subversive cultural level. Yeah, What that was with the Mich- Danny Michelle thing, which was about a week ago or so as mm-hmm. we're speaking, was, oh, like a guy who, and this is, I'm not disparaging anyone here, mm-hmm. but here's a fellow that, like you're saying, is in that, Let's call it the pander zone. Yeah. He is making an attempt to do something. I'm not, I don't listen to his music enough to know if it's even formulaic. Right. But when, when we say that, let's not even, not even use him as an example necessarily here because I don't know enough about his. Yeah, work. I don't know his music at all. Right. But, but say you're a CBC radio darling in yep. Canada. Yes. Or you're, I don't know what the equivalent would be in the States because I don't think there's like, I don't like think. An NPR darling? I don't think that's. No, because I think, no. No, because they're much they more They take more chances, yeah. yeah. So what I'm saying is the shock of that was, oh, like even someone who's trying to do something within the convention of I'm going to make music that's radio friendly and that the radio will support it and that support network will also mean that I will have people at my shows mm-hmm. when I play soft seat theaters. The shock of that is, oh, that's not working for that even. Like the music industry is not, with the streaming services, with the way music works now, that seemingly Teflon Don kind of situation is now being impacted. It's not just the independent musicians who have made choices, aesthetic choices, not to pander. They're making challenging music. So that's what the shock was. So when you say, I wanted to make it in Destroyer, or yeah or or Diana, Diana. like that was always going to be a hard road but what's happening now with with that revelation for some was and i mean i know it too cuz when you make uh, when you work for media outlets who cover the same music that's being destroyed mm-hmm. 
or you make a podcast <laughs> yeah. that is dealing with what is ostensibly a niche cultural form, yeah. you're going to feel that too. Like, oh, it's, what happened? Everything's kind of not as big as it was. Like numbers, and that's what he was saying. Like, look, you know, my songs charted on all these radio charts. I tour like mad. Yeah, It was streamed, I don't know how many times he said, and I got 45 bucks. And that's the reality. It's the first time myself, my peers, my contemporaries are like, I got to get out of this. I I can't live like this anymore. This stuff used this stuff he said paid for my house, my studio, my yeah. my salary. Like this was it worked. I mean, it it's a it's a tricky one because I think that it shouldn't be an unreasonable thing to want to make a living playing original music. Mm-hmm. I think that like that is a dream that people should have and like it should be possible and it's always been a hard road but like I don't ever want to discourage that, but for myself, and I can only speak for myself, like I only found peace with music as soon as I stopped trying to make a living from original music. And like that maybe isn't something that everyone has the luxury of doing. Like I have a skill set that allows me to kind of like work within music, but like do stuff that like I don't have any... um, you don't have to hit the road. No, like I, I, I can like yeah. score movies, which yeah. I really like, or yeah. I write music for ads. And like, I don't, you know, if I'm writing an ad for Huggies or something like that, I'm not, I don't have any of myself tied up, but I, any of my ego and my emotions tied up into that Huggies jingle. That's just a job. And Do like, you get, you have a nine month old, do you get free Huggies? I don't get free Huggies, Shouldn't you have worked in your, into, into your contract <laughs> that if I'm doing this jingle, I want, uh, you know, a X keg. Of, <laughs> I need a keg of margarine. I need a keg of I can't believe it's I not butter. a keg of diapers. <laughs> and a keg of diapers, yeah. should have done that. See, if I was a smarter <laughs> business person, I would have done that. But no, yeah, I, you, I, I just yeah. think that, like, I think everyone has their own path, but I will say that I can't ever count on music to pay my, like, original music to pay my bills because as soon as I do that... I think it makes you make really weird decisions. And you go on weird tours that you don't want to do and you take gigs that you don't like and then all of a sudden like you've been away from your family for a whole bunch of months doing a whole a bunch of things that like make you kind of depressed and there's good times and there's bad times but yeah, it's it just not for me. Do you have any perspective on how you went from dicking around as you said mm-hmm. uh with this solo stuff to because you were busy. I mean, you were just very busy in a public sphere anyway. I don't mm-hmm. even know about the how much time you were devoting to that scoring stuff you were talking about. But like yeah. publicly, you seem to be touring a lot, busy, uh, making records and stuff like that. Yeah. What prompted you to go from just sort of messing with the notion of being yourself, <laughs> yeah. having your own project, and actually having the... What was the impetus to do it? I think there was, there was two things. One's pretty petty. And one is, um, one's less petty. So the petty one is that working in bands, and I think this was specific more to Diana because Destroyer's pretty free and easy with what you're allowed to do. I think because we were all so close and such, and there's like all these relationship dynamics built in, I always felt like I had to, um, I, I didn't get to do whatever I wanted, which is fair. It's a band. It's a democracy. In Diana. In Diana. Hmm. But like, Band democracies, I think, are often really um, tricky because you all want to feel heard, but at the same time, you're never going to agree. You're all never going to totally agree. Every song is a compromise. Yeah. I mean, in band dictatorships, which is what... I mean, Destroyer is not a dictatorship, but like ultimately, there's one person who's making the final choices, 
And that is super liberating because you can do what you do and you hope that it is, it, it, Dan makes you feel very validated because he often just uses all of your ideas. Isn't that story of Kaput that he just sort of, it was, tell, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm trying to jog my memory here, but yeah. my understanding is that Kaput, you played on Kaput, yeah. and my understanding is that Kaput was more or less done, and he done. just called you up and said, can you play some stuff, and you kind of improvised over it. It right? wasn't, I, it I wasn't was, improvised? Okay. No, no, it was improvised. Oh, uh-huh. I asked to hear the mixes, and he said he didn't want me to hear them, like, because he wanted me to just, like, play to hearing it for the first time. Oh, interesting. And uh, he, he didn't even call me up. Like I was going to Vancouver to visit my girlfriend who's now my wife. She was doing her master's out there and I called him up just saying like, we should get a beer. How do you meet Dan? Or how do you know Dan? Because I played with Andre Etier oh. and Andre opened for Destroyer for the Trouble and Dreams tour in 2008. Oh, that's how you met Dan. That's how I met Dan. Okay. So when I went, I was going to visit Kate and he was like, oh, you know, I'm recording this album bring your saxophone, it would be cool to have some saxophone on it. So I just went to the studio and improvised like two takes per song and that was it. It was like super- It was otherwise done? It was done, And totally he done. just wanted you on there? Yeah. And then, okay, so that's fascinating. It was wild, like I, and especially based on how well it did, just to have it be completely like s- such a random occurrence, like yeah. for all intents and purposes, I should not have been on that album. And- <laughs> Yeah, it really opened a lot of doors and especially just playing with that band because I, I mean, I love Destroyer. Yeah, I was a huge amazing. fan of that band well yeah. before I played with it, played with them. But um, where was I going? Well, sorry, I, I asked about, um, what were we oh, talking yeah. about? So I was saying oof, petty reasons. So I was sick of being told that my ideas, like not that it was ever like a bad thing, but I, I would just have certain things shot down or certain predispositions that I had would get shot down. And I thought, you know, kind of like, fuck you, I want to do what I want to do. And I think the petty part of me was like, I'm going to make music that no one can tell me no. So that was the petty thing. So I started like exploring sounds that I liked that I think were a little bit too warm and cushy and fuzzy for Diana. Like I have a definite predisposition to for like soft music. And then yeah and then the other part of it was just like genuine exploration where like I had heard John Hassel yeah and really wanted to figure out how he did what he did so I kind of in the process of doing that wrote songs to explore harmonizing my saxophone and affecting it and then I think in the process of doing that like an album took shape and then I was just going to put it online and then Sandro Perry actually came over because I trust his ears very much. And he was like, no, this is really good. Like you should you should believe in what you're doing because I didn't, like I didn't think they were good enough to be on a record and he, he encouraged me and that's sort of how the first album took shape. Why didn't you think it was good enough? I think the same reason all artists doubt themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, even if I have a song now, I feel like if I send it to people who I want to play on it, I try to, like I'll have a list of like caveats, like, but don't listen to this and this is going to be more like this because like you're already automatically insecure about this thing that you've done. You're laying yourself out there or putting yourself out there, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been trying to not do that, you know, just to be like, here is what it is. Like it's going to eventually be mixed and you know that people can hear that. But yeah, I think for sure, even still, like just plagued with self-doubt. I understand. Yeah. I'm the same. Uh, Is Diana sort of around still? Yeah. Oh, you're still around. Okay. We're writing an album, but like I think we needed a break from 
each other and from touring and then we've kind of since come back together and like it's been wonderful like for the first time ever I think it's been actually like a beautiful functional friendship okay it is like actually it feels great actually okay it's well really you, nice. you just uh, you allude to a bit of tension when you say yeah 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 there was tension for a lot of years yeah. you know like yeah. Yeah. I think we were all figuring each other out and ourselves out and then you put three strong personalities into that situation in it. Yeah, there was some weirdness. Just to be to, to clarify, was your time here with me a cause of some tension? I hope That's it the major source of tension really in the band. I want to be part of this, you know, the fact that you guys <laughs> had problems. Uh, for context, who is John Hassel for people who uh, don't know John? John Hassel is a trumpet player and he was the first person that I know about to really kind of take his trumpet and harmonize it with its with itself through like effects units. Where is and he from? Uh, I think California. Okay, American. And he he did an album with Brian Eno, which w- was what really got me kind of into his sound called Fourth World Volume One. Okay. And yeah, it's like it's it's like turning the trumpet into texture and chords rather than like what you know it as traditionally, which is like a soloistic instrument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. When I first heard that, I was just like, holy shit, this is possible. And I think even listening to my first album, I hear so much of me just trying to copy that, Mm -hmm. which is, I mean, I think even with most jazz, you kind of learn by emulating your idols. But yeah, that blew my mind wide open. Now, what's your first album called? H. 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 That's how it's pronounced? Yeah, it's spelled A-Y-T-C-H-E. Okay, H. So uh, that's all very... Fascinating. The doubt in like you had the you had the spite, spite. You had the confidence to do it, but yeah. you also were just plagued with doubt. So much doubt. So much doubt. Right. And yeah, so much doubt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like even when Sandra came over to listen, I was just like apologizing for things in advance, and he had to say like, "You need to stop and just let me listen." But like, I couldn't sit still and without being like, "Oh, but this has to change, and this and that, and this." And yeah. It's, you want to explain stuff away. What is your, do you have primary instruments at this point? Because we've talked about a few different uh, people you've played with and, mm-hmm. and bands you've played with. And I feel like in my mind, in my mind, I can picture you doing different things with all of them. Yeah, I think saxophone for sure is still my primary instrument. Okay. But I play a lot of keyboards and like I, in, I've gotten much more into like the recording process, I think. But yeah. saxophone and flute. Are still my primary ones. Those are your primary instruments. Yeah. But you've gotten into kind of synthesized stuff and yep. effects and a lot of effects, ambient sort of texture type stuff. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Okay. Yeah. Now this new record is um, uh, very powerful. It's called Anne. Yeah. And, Thank you. And I, yeah, you're welcome. Um, and I want to know about the impetus behind this because I think the story's rather fascinating from what I understand of it anyway. Yeah. Tell us about Anne, uh, where this comes from exactly, because it's, it's, like I say, I, I, I don't want to mangle it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so Anne is my mother's name, and the idea behind the album was, um, so my mother has Parkinson's disease, and my wife's father also has Parkinson's disease, so it's something that's kind of pretty present in, in our lives. What, uh, when was this uh, diagnosed? So Kate's father's had it since before I met her. So like so he's had it for probably about 15 years now. Oh, okay. And my mother was diagnosed I want to say like 6 or 7 years ago. Oh, okay. You've been living with this a while. A while. Yeah, and then she recently actually got a deep brain stimulation operation where they put electrodes in your brain that like really lessen the symptoms of the disease, which has been pretty helpful. So that's a good thing. But the the idea behind the album was kind of like I wanted to interview her and then about the way she views herself through the lens of her illness and then sort of like take those interviews and chop them up and affect them and turn them into texture and take like kind of poignant phrases from or like statements or things she says and kind of work them into these songs. And I think... Yeah, like I didn't want to make it overt where it was just like me doing sort of like emo-y jazz saxophone under like long, literal, heavy interviews. I thought that would be pretty whack. So yeah. I tried to just take snippets of the interviews and like things that maybe evoked a feeling and then build songs around them. But then also it was a neat way to talk to my mother about her illness because, I mean, have you ever had anybody close to you who's been like very sick? Uh, yeah, my mom. Uh, I uh, So yeah, over the last year, about a year ago uh, from this month, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so I've just, I've been talking about this more on the show lately. And it's funny you bring us up because uh, I just had this conversation with Emily Heller. I haven't um, divulged too much of it, but, but yeah, so she was diagnosed with um, stage three breast cancer mm-hmm. and had uh, surgery, uh, a mastectomy, mm-hmm. and then she had uh, chemotherapy and then they did another surgery and then she had radiation and so oh, all yeah, of this yeah. yeah so all of this was going on and um and then i will as i said to during my recent uh, episode with emily like she just had a, a mammogram mm-hmm. and it was clear so that's great yeah 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 so like everything is feeling okay but it's cancer so you just it's just a lot of monitoring and hoping for the best and all those sorts of things and i will say uh fascinatingly mm-hmm. I have an interview show, and um, my impulse was the exact same as yours, is to say, uh, now that I kind of, my parents are getting older, yeah, and I, it, this is the first time that I was really jarred with that. I think if you are unrealistic about life or something, I don't know, I'm trying to figure my, oh, and I, oh yeah, and what I said to Emily was, as a result of this uh, diagnosis, I selfishly developed uh, severe anxiety. <laughs> so I've been battling that just to have something for me to do too while she was going through it's very stuff. very big of you. Yeah, I guess so. I still <laughs> think it was kind of selfish, but she doesn't even know that part. But I, I um, 
So that it's health anxiety mostly. I think it's yeah. just like a fear that oh, if th- that can happen to her, then what's going to happen to me and my kids and yeah, all that stuff. So it's it's. I don't think it's abnormal, but it's. I'm not used to that. I, I just put my head down and do my work. But I, the impulse I had was I'm going to interview my mom. You should do it. I'm going to interview my mom and my dad, and because I've long wanted to. They're from India. Yeah, I know. It's as the years go on, their stories get foggier to me. Like, yeah. you know, my mom, uh, my mom's story. Like, I just was going to say, uh, let's, and I said it to my mom, like, I, it would be really cool if we just did some interviews about your life. But to say it in the midst of that uncertainty mm-hmm. and that struggle, uh, I said it to her when she was kind of feeling up just in passing. Like, yeah. I was like, it would be good if we just talk because I don't know a bunch of stuff about our family history and your history. And mm-hmm. she said, yes, I'll do that. But then she, it was just a very, difficult situation so and it's, and, and, and <laughs> i think like you maybe like you wanted to get to some information morbidly like the morbid aspect of this is you wanted to get that information before it was too late i mean actually no like okay it my mom worked in hospice and like i think she's been pretty obsessed with death for a long time so I death see. was never like a thing in our family that felt bad or weird it was more like i mean it's a bit different because with a degenerative illness um yes it, it's i didn't mean to draw too no no no, no. Patient, I, but, I think yeah. it, it's a very like, i'm not it, it is a different thing it's a different beast but i think like the similarities are very strong i think the where it diverges is that with a degenerative illness it it puts a weird you puts your family in a weird position and you're also dealing with somebody who's changing, but like because they're around, and it's not like like it's it's their mind that's going. So they look they, the same, maybe. Yeah, and you expect them to be able to do a lot of the same things they used to be, and it's hard to kind of pivot and expect less. Yeah, and then also like everyone has an opinion of what should and shouldn't happen, mm. and then you watch people make decisions, and like I would watch my mother make decisions about her health, her life, the way she's handling it, and it would be totally weird for me. I would just be like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is crazy. And I just wanted to talk to her about all of that, but also like the way she viewed herself through the lens of this illness, because I knew that she was a perfectionist. Yeah. and like. I think a lot what came to light in a lot of these articles was like child stuff childhood stuff for her the way she interacted with her parents and the way she views like the way she thought about herself as being somebody who needed to be perfect and perceived as perfect and that this illness exposed her yeah. as a fraud yeah and it's it a little bit a, of embarrassment there absolutely yeah. and I think yeah, it just and in sifting through these interviews and listening and listening and listening to try to make them into songs, I think I got a better understanding of where she was at. And it wasn't something where I was like, "Oh, now I get it, and everything's good, and I totally agree with everything she does." And it, it was more just like in understanding it, I was able to kind of make peace with it and in her decisions. And yeah, I think it was just a cathartic. Maybe cathartic's the wrong word, but. I was able to ask her things that I you can't do when you see them for a few hours at a nice family visit. And she was able to open up about herself. And I think I understood her much better at the end of the process. Mm. And at the end of the album, I felt like I had said what I wanted to say and also represented 
her in a way that felt true and meaningful. And yeah, it felt like a weird like chapter closure in a nice way. Like I was happy with it. You you say that you learn things from this experience about your, about your mother, but you and I both know that sometimes in a when you're in a recording studio, when someone puts a microphone in front of you, whenever there's like a red light on all of a sudden and things are rolling, some people will um, freeze up mm-hmm. and uh, become some stilted version of themselves, but other people eventually will let go yeah. and give in to the process. Did you have a bit of both of that? No, she wanted to talk. Like, my mom was, she was really open right away mm. and it was really nice. I mean, the frustrating part is she can talk about things being or like behavioral things that she does that are unhealthy or like affect her sense of self-worth and all that sort of stuff but then you know it it's not like they've changed since then it's just it's interesting to hear someone say it and vocalize it and like you know that's true about them and they know that's true about them and that it's really negative but then also to kind of just be like well that is her thing to deal with and I love her and I want her to be happy but also her happiness is not up to me and that's I mean it's tough but also I think that was a really nice part of the whole process was just to like be able to listen to her and not feel the need to try to help just to listen she sounds uh, definitely like um, a parent and uh, like your like your like she's your mom. There's a sequence <laughs> yeah. where she's talking to you about sort of generational expectations. Yeah, and that's a weird sort of social socio political conversation. But it also feels like familial. Like this is just some this is something that's gone on through our family line. It's not yeah. just the culture. And I found that interesting that she still had the impulse to, in the context, I assume you said, I want to hear about you. Mm -hmm. She still had this sort of empathetic, instructive, here's what you should take away from my experience. Totally. And it was interesting to hear her say that, too, because I think it put into perspective just like the way she was with us. Like, I remember thinking in my late 20s, like, I could kind of do no wrong. Like, there was so much support all the time. Yeah. And hearing her talk about her family in the interview and just how little support she had ever, I think the way we were raised was such a reaction to that. And mm-hmm. I think it, ultimately it was a beautiful thing because we, my sister and I always felt truly supported, but it did put into, it made clear why there was so little, like she didn't, it was not very, it wasn't critical at all. There was times where we, like, we could kind of get away with murder and I think I understood that part of things more as well. And you're saying she wanted to talk from the get-go? Like yeah. I'm trying the one of the road one of the obstacles I had in not pursuing the, beyond the fact that I didn't think like I said I just wasn't mentally ready anymore. By the mm-hmm. time I by the time after I'd pitched this idea, I pitched an interview to my mom. <laughs> yeah. And she said, "Yeah, that sounds like it would be good actually." Um I lost my nerve to do it because I couldn't like I said for me it had a kind of m- morbid undertone. Of I want to in you my should go there like no the I know I I should I have I want to talk to both of them because um, I really don't know much of like stuff was revelatory for you right in big this, time yeah and I just don't there's part of me that's afraid to know I think there's things about our parents that I think we 
are happy not knowing. But think about how much you'll regret not knowing once they're gone. I know, and that's the thing. And that's a weird aspect of being a technological uh, human being, like a person that has the gear to capture this and does this like stuff like we're doing like yeah. regularly. Um, I, I will say I think about the interview I have and I, I've kind of chopped it up into questions and I actually want to post the whole thing online for yeah. people to hear. But Is it one interview? It's one like hour and a half, two hour interview. Oh, okay. And, um, and you've cut yourself out on the record, I think, for the most... There's Yeah, I say a couple of little lines, yeah, yeah. but for the most part, I'm out. But I think you would... it's you would hear how much more of a dialogue was mm-hmm. happening if I posted it. But what I'm excited about is, you know, Louis, my son, is nine months old. And I think by the time he's old enough to remember my mother, she's going to be a very, very, very different person. And she was already a different person between the time I interviewed her and, like, the beginning of her diagnosis. Right. And he'll have this little document, you know, where he can look at it or listen to it and he will understand a lot about the way his grandmother viewed herself and the way she grew up and her parents. And I don't know, I like that. I really like, because, you know, on my father's side, his parents were Holocaust survivors. Yeah. And they refused, my grandfather, I was he died before I was old enough to really have a, an awareness about that sort of stuff. But my booby, my grandmother, refused to talk about her childhood. Just straight up, like it, it was not... On the table. She was a child when they fled? Yeah, she was in her early 20s. But she just, like... She, she was talk- in her early 20s, so it was... Okay. But she just didn't want to talk about Europe and, like, pre... And, and the war and all of that sort of stuff. And one of my biggest regrets is that I was too young to really press her. And I, I would have loved to have known a lot more. And... You can appreciate why. Of course. And I, I mean... I don't think I would have pushed her in a overt way, but yeah. it bums me out that I don't know that. Hmm. And I think that if your mother's open to it, like that is going to be something that you can pass down forever and ever, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I agree, and I I will do it. I um, I there's a little fear there for me. Yeah, because it's it's fair. just the context is strange. And um, anyway, uh, you said something also about being wary of presenting your mother's conversational anecdotes or, or the, these clips mm-hmm. in a cheesy way. And I, I want to ask you about that that um, impulse, or rather the, um, the decisions you made mm-hmm. to kind of leave the space for her to be uh, sort of the focal point of these compositions mm-hmm. while at the same time, you know, trying to soundscape them, trying to figure out the vibe yeah, because that, and I don't want to, you know, I don't have the, uh, I think, ability to go song by song with this right mm-hmm. now, but I do think if you can speak maybe generally as people check out this record, I just I wonder about that. Like, do you were there examples where you're like, uh, this was a struggle to actually figure out what she's saying? How do we, how do I actually come up with something that that matches the tone? So yeah, like I I think that what I really wanted to resist was just plopping the interview on top of an emotional sounding song or any song. Like I think there it would times sound like a slint song maybe if yeah. you, <laughs> which I love slint, <laughs> but it would, it would also sound like, I think given the subject matter, yeah. it would just sound so overt and heavy handed, maybe heavy handed. Exactly. It. And I think, you know, and if you want to do the subject matter justice, I think you have to approach it in a sort of subtle way because otherwise 
it's just going to be such a bummer of a record. Yeah. And also, people are not going to listen to the things that she says. They're just going to be like, ugh, this is too much. I'm turning yeah, this yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've, what you've done is a a very skillful balance of a profile of someone mm-hmm. reflecting upon their life and your your life, as I say. like what, and, and you are a part of her, a huge part of her. Do you have siblings, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, so you're, you know, your children end up being this, being your legacy. Whatever yeah. you do, if you have children, they end up, if you care about that sort of thing, I didn't mean to invoke legacy, but no, 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 no. they are really. Like no matter what, what I do or what I make, my kids are really uh, the best things I've helped make. And uh, <laughs> and not to get gross, uh, yes. but no, that that is important. And I think you've what you've captured is a, a person reconciling that a little bit. Like, yeah, this is a life I've lived, but the most important aspects, what comes to me here and there on the record beyond her thinking about I think maybe addressing regret, addressing a little bit of like, yeah, decision making. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But what really comes across is she's trying to think of you and and what's to come. Yeah. And I think she's also trying to like reconcile th- this idea of a perfect self that she knows is bullshit. Right. And like on the one hand, acknowledging that it's destructive and negative, but at the same time kind of saying but it's still there. And I kind of like that. I like that she didn't say, oh, you know, like if I, you know, it, it's going to go away. Like I think it, it's this constant struggle and she kind of acknowledges that. And then I wanted to just take those little poignant moments and have them poke out but the rest of the time, take the interview and affect it so that it becomes sort of like woven into the fabric yeah. of the composition yeah. and it becomes a texture. And I think, I mean, whether it comes a cross or not like the idea being that like if, if it's burbling underneath barely audible some of its feeling is going to get imparted into the composition yeah. and in doing that it felt meaningful to me and it also felt like it wasn't corny like it, it, it yeah. became something that was uh, yeah like it, it helped the piece of music rather than made it feel goofy yeah that's fair okay yeah. Has has your mother or anyone else in your family given you feedback about the record, <laughs> criticism about the record? Have you heard from them? My mom gave me the same feedback she gave about like every album that I've ever made, which is like, great job, Jose. I really <laughs> liked it. It's like, great, what did you like about it? Did you think their interviews were good? And she was like, yeah, I think uh, I liked how it came across. And uh, <laughs> me and your father are really proud of you. Oh, well, that's that, but that's just like her boilerplate statement for any. Yeah, I mean, like the it's fact so, that it's she like was involved about her. Yeah, and like the cover. She's on it for crying out loud. She's on it, and my the cover art. I told my sister, who's a really talented florist, I said, I want you to design a bouquet that represents our mother, that feels like her, that like embodies the way she makes you feel. So my sister made this beautiful bouquet, and then it was photographed, and then like an artist friend of mine painted it, uh-huh. and it became this gorgeous painting and like so everything about it is like this it's about her and <laughs> like i would be shocked if she's listened to it more than twice i uh i imagine um yeah I, and you know there's lots of people who you you would probably know who don't read their own press they don't listen to their <laughs> own uh, records after they're done they don't yeah. watch their own movies imagine being someone who doesn't even do this for a living <laughs> To be confronted by your own voice, uh, yeah. particularly if, as you're going through this, 
um, situation where you know you're you're changing. Uh, it, it must be strange. It must be strange. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. Like, I don't think my mother, I don't think music makes my mother feel the same things that it makes like me or my father or my sister feel. Like, she doesn't interact with it in a way that I think is like she doesn't get off on music in the same way. Sure, so, but. Like I think she does, she does like it a lot, and I think the gesture wasn't lost on her, and I think it meant a lot to her. But it's just interesting to like. I mean, it's the same thing about expectation. Like I shouldn't have expected her to all of a sudden really give a shit about weird ambient music. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I think she interacted with it in in the way that was most comfortable with her, and. It's not going to be something that she's going to go back to again and again and like try to get into the what I was thinking. It's like that's just not what she, yeah. how she ever interacted with music. So, yeah, I mean, it's it. W- no part of me was offended, but I do kind of get a chuckle out of it sometimes. Where I'm kind of just, I just think. Well, I mean, there's no discounting how um, touching and impactful the record is. I mean, I, I, well, thank I, you very it's, much. It's wonderful. It's wonderfully done. So, what's next for you at this point? So I just, I mean, I'm going to keep recording an album. I have an idea to record. Like one of the songs on the album was done with my friends Robin and Felicity. Mm-hmm. And Do you want to tell, uh, who are they? Who oh, so Robin, <laughs> so a woman named Robin Dan, who plays, who's the lead singer of the band Bernice. Yeah. And Felicity Williams, who also sings in Bernice and plays with um, Bahamas. She sings in Bahamas. Yeah. Can you get them on this show? I had yeah. trouble with Bernice getting, are they, because they have, are they on Arts and Crafts or something? Yes. It's a bit of a, I don't know, I can't get, there's a certain arts and crafts, I shouldn't say this on the show, but there's, <laughs> I will say it because they're not listening this deep in. Yeah, there's just certain people that I can't, for some reason, they just don't, I can't, it's, it's weird, sometimes it's fine. They are the nicest people in they the world. They seem, I love that band, I love that band, and yeah. I just, I tried once and I got kind of like, nah. I'll just put you in touch with Robin. Yeah, just do it. I want. Yeah. I'd like to have. I'm sure they would love to be her interviewed. Felicity would be great. Anyway, but sorry, go ahead. They, they, they did You're making a record weird, with. Yeah, we have a plan to make a record of um, vocal improvisations and saxophone. Nice. And so th- I'm pretty stoked about that, actually. And then I just finished scoring a documentary about a wrestler, and that's going to be coming out in the new year, which is really exciting. Oh, my gosh. Good for you. And uh, anyway, it's it, he's a pretty incredible dude, and I was really happy with scoring that. And then, I don't know, I'm just going to keep touring and You playing. mentioned Diana was... Diana's recording a record as well. Recording, right? Not even right. Re- uh, sorry, we're writing. writing. We're writing a okay. record. Okay. But we'll record it ourselves, I think. And then, I don't know, look, I'm kind of just doing bits and bobs, and then working, making ad music. I play on other people's albums. Like, it's just sort of like bits and bobs here and there. And then I'm playing, actually, I'm doing an album release show in January in Toronto, and I'm playing in Guelph huh. on the 20th. Um, for kazoo for a kazoo event and then I'm doing a small tour in two weeks down to New York and Montreal wait which and 20th, 20th of January uh, January for okay. kazoo okay okay and then in December I'm playing in New York on the 14th and then Montreal on the 15th and Ottawa on the 16th oh good for you yeah weekend warrior <laughs> now that I'm a dad <laughs> now that you're a dad well yeah. no it's great and so where can people go to learn more about you on their machines my albums are on like Spotify and Apple Music and all those things. Apparently, that doesn't pay that well. It does not pay that well. But if they want to buy an actual album, they can go to like um, like a record. They can go to Western Vinyl's website. Okay, okay, Western Vinyl. Okay, yeah. Is there a, a piece from Anne that we can play yeah. for people right now? Let me. Well, I guess the, I should give you a piece that involves my mother, right? Well, no, it doesn't. Oh, is that that's 
maybe worth mentioning. Yeah. It's not so, every piece. No, the, I, and I did some collaborations with other musicians, and some of them didn't involve my mother. They all kind of had her in mind, but a good one maybe to do would be um, a track called Forest Run. Forest Run. And yeah. why, why did that come to mind? Uh, I think it was... A <laughs> I was talking about Forrest Gump with somebody, uh-huh. and then I remember the line "Run, Forest, Run." Oh, I see. Okay. And then I, I like I create these very stupid temporary names for songs, and then it just sort of stuck. Yeah, because you're just like there must have been a reason I came up with that dumb yeah. name. It must it must capture I'm something. Like, yeah, Forest Run. Forest Run. And by the way, if correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you sent me a version of this record early on, and there was a surprise guest on it yeah that, and it's not on the record right there's a new it's it's coming out in the middle of january and dan uh, behar from destroyer sings a bonus track so we're going to release that kind of mid-january okay so and, and so people what, can you say the name of this oh, yeah you probably it's, just the you, song is called i don't want to be your love okay and that song will be out in january and i'll i'm sure there'll be some press around it okay i'll let people know okay and if they want i'm on instagram and all those things right okay i'll joseph shabison yeah s-h-a-b-a-s-o-n okay all right joseph we're gonna play uh forest run from awesome from Anne. thank you so much for being on my show again and i hope you had a good time and uh, i did i and i appreciated our talk about margarine <laughs> yet again <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck with everything going Thanks, forward. Rish. Put some butter on your bread, I will. if I might say. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I think that I want to be perfect, or I don't want to show my imperfections. I don't want my imperfections to be so obvious. There's more, more to the. That's how I feel. Right. So stupid. I'm thinking about this as I'm talking to you. I think it's so stupid because.
Very special thanks again to Joseph Shabison for appearing on this, the 448th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on Spotify, YouTube, and Audio Boom as well. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for on any of those things, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. If you like Creative Control on Facebook, should we still be promoting Facebook in this day and age? I don't feel like they're very good. Uh, you can like the page on Facebook, I guess. You can also follow us on Twitter. Is Twitter good anymore? I don't feel like Twitter's good. Follow us on social media on Facebook and also on Twitter at Vish Creative or Vishkana. At Vishkana, I guess is how the Twitter speak works. Listen to a radio show version of Creative Control. On Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca. Should we still be using websites? I don't know what to use or do anymore. CFRU.ca, that's where you can hear uh, lots of amazing programming, not just this show, lots of other great stuff. But this show airs Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world at CFRU.ca, which is a, a website, just so you know. Or you can listen to it on an actual radio, which I think is pretty safe. 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast going. Sometimes I wonder what will keep this podcast going. And and even though it's very modest, I'm very beholden to the Patreon account because it's uh, or whatever it is, the the page, (laughs) because there's a little bit of money coming in. And that's that's nice. And I feel very uh, honored that people have pledged even a little bit of money to this show so I keep going because of that so if you'd like to see the show continue please please contribute to patreon.com slash creative control I'd like to thank the in-kind support I receive for this show from the likes of Pizza Trocadero The Bookshelf and Planet Bean Coffee and Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton as always very special thanks to my pal Jim Guthrie who makes amazing music he lets me use one of his songs on this show each and every week you can learn more about Jim maybe even about all of his cats at jimguthrie.org and finally thank you very much for listening to this episode and perhaps even other episodes it uh, does mean a lot and uh, if you can continue to do that and tell your friends about the show because you like the show and sometimes it's nice to talk about podcasts with your friends remember Serial that podcast everyone wanted to talk about it with each other they were like did you, did you hear Serial that phone booth and the electronic the best the store and that guy, oh, cereal. Weird. Anyway, I'd love to hear people having such meaningful conversations about creative control. So uh, please tell your friends about the show. Then you can have conversations about my conversations, I guess. Oh, I have cookies. I don't know if you can hear that. The oven is dinging because there's cookies ready. So that's my... Yeah, they're, they're ready to go. I got to go check on the cookies. I'll talk to you very soon. Uh, bye for now. Enjoy a, a cookie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 